so but we had a we had a good time it's amazing the number of kids that are out here uh, you know shooting at these archery tournaments and I'm always impressed with the uh, the poise that it takes the concentration that it takes to stand there and to in front of all these people sitting there do something that's very kind of you know personal you and this and this target straight ahead of you um, and uh, and and every time it's it's uh, it's pretty amazing uh, what happens there with all these uh, kids shooting at these targets. Um, and as I was thinking about it, I realized there's this interesting balance between uh, letting go of what just happened in your target and, yet, and at the same time assessing what just happened. I just shot this arrow and it didn't quite go where I want or it did go where I wanted. And then letting that go and then the next time trying again, you know, to take this and understand what happened and accept that and then move on. Uh, there's this kind of sense of radical acceptance uh, of what happened and what is and now letting that go and trying again and doing something new and, and, and different. And I think that this morning as we consider uh, a time of reflection and repentance and confession that it's also our opportunity to accept what is before us, the truth of who we are, of what we've done, what we've been a part of, and at the same time, to see a new and different path forward, uh, to maybe be uh, encouraged, uh, not necessarily striving for a perfection that we will never attain, but what can we do this time to get closer to the mark, uh, to be part of the loving, uh, beloved community that God has called us to. So as we worship together this morning, uh, let's re be reminded of the grace that envelops us and surrounds us here. So as we begin, we would like this candle celebrating the presence of Christ in us. you to please stand as you're able and join me in the call to worship. God of life, your hands have made a beautiful creation, a diverse, beloved community. You have provided more than enough and have shown us the way of love and true peace. You have called us back to life with you and with your beloved. All right. Now I invite you to greet those around you and pass the peace of Christ. you to remain 
how'd you spin the whirling planets? You will find it on number 23 in your handbooks. reading today is from Psalm 138. I give thanks to you with all my heart, Lord. I sing your praise before all other gods. I bow toward your holy temple and thank your name for your loyal love and faithfulness because you have made your name and word greater than everything else. On the day I cried out, you answered me. You encouraged me 
with inner strength. Let all the earth's rulers give thanks to you, Lord. When they hear what you say, let them sing about the Lord's ways, because the Lord's glory is so great. Even though the Lord is high, you can still see the lowly, but God keeps his distance from the arrogant. Whenever I'm in deep trouble, you make me live again. You send your power against my enemy's wrath. You save me with your strong hand. The Lord will do all this for my sake. Your faithful love lasts forever, Lord. Don't let go of what your hands have made.
Thank you, Aaron. Prior to the fundamentalist control of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1980s, Baptists have deeply honored a heritage of religious liberty. Based on a basic understanding of each person's integrity before God, we have historically defended the rights of each individual toward the practice of religious freedom. And I have four historical examples, but since this is the early service, I will just offer one of them. For I could talk about John Smith, Thomas Helwes, 1607, 1609, or jump ahead to 1801 with a letter from the Danbury Baptist Association to new president Thomas Jefferson about the separation of church and state, or that incredible speech from George Truett in May of 1920 on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. But instead, I will read to you a quote from a person that we claim as Baptists who sojourned with us for a while, Roger Williams, in 1644, he said, It is the will and command of God that since the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus, a permission of the most paganist, paganish, Jewish, Turkish, or anti-Christian consciences and worships be granted to all in every nation and in all countries. 1648. Religious freedom to pagans, Turks meaning Muslims, Jews, and even those that might be considered anti-Christian. Wow. That's a prophecy. And why have Baptists historically believed in these things? Why have they stood against incredible odds early on risking livelihoods and beatings and imprisonments? Why have we treasured religious freedom? Simply because of a conviction that authentic religious expression and experience and one's own personal relationship with God cannot be forced upon a person. You cannot truly say yes to God unless you are equally and totally free to say no. And your expression of how to live out your faith is only possible if you afford to every other person the same rights as you yourself treasure. And so Baptists historically have been on the forefront of religious liberty and interreligious cooperation. But as I said, the past 40 years have found many Baptists and indeed many Americans forgetting these hard-fought and won and essential protections. And consequently, these kinds of perspectives have been questioned and worse, forgotten and even worse, abandoned. In part, because we are wanting to build our security upon falsehoods, a shaky deck of cards, a pack of lies that must be called out for the hate-filled, callous, and reductionistic prejudices upon which they are all based. Immigrants are not here to take your jobs. In fact, most are doing the jobs 
that others won't do and don't want to do. And all Muslims are not terrorists. Oh, do they have dissonant elements within their faith? Well, yes, but so do Christians. Without question, more Muslims have been killed by terrorism than any other group on the face of the planet. And the true threat to me or to you or to a member of one of our family members is far more likely to come on American soil by a white extremist armed with a gun than from any foreign terrorist or gang member or immigrant. And the Jews are not in total, totalitarian charge, I didn't say that right, but are not in total charge of the world's economy. <laughs> Nor are they trying to take over the world. That accomplishment has already been completed by the billionaires. How do you get to have a billion dollars as a single individual? Do you know there were more Jews killed in the Holocaust, six million of them, than the number of practicing Jews that live today in America? Around four million. And for all those, those practicing and those who claim Jewish ancestry, there's about 7.4 million Jews in a country of over 360 million. That's hardly 1.5% of our entire country is comprised of those who claim Jewish ancestry or practice the Jewish religion. Yet, anti-Semitic incidents have increased 57% in the United States in 2017 compared to the previous year, according to the Anti-Deflammation League. With cases of this kind of anti-Semitic incident reported in every single state of the Union since 2010. With alarming frequency, swastikas and messages like, Hitler was not wrong, kill all the Jews, and no Jews have appeared on synagogues, Jewish graves and homes, and school campuses terrorizing their targets. The FBI also tracks hate crimes in the United States. In 2015, it showed that Jews were the most frequently target of all groups for anti-religious hate crimes. Of the 1,402 anti-religious hate crimes reported in 2015, over half were committed because of anti-Jewish bias. And guess what population is doing this more than any other? College students on college campuses. Just a few weeks ago, the Swaninara Temple, a Hindu place of worship, was vandalized in Louisville, Kentucky. I was greatly proud of many of our Baptist friends associated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship who showed up a week later to help clean up the temple and assure the faithful community of 
the love that was there for them and the welcome and their unswerving acceptance of their belonging for a Hindu temple in the mutual area of Louisville. Then in Pittsburgh, last October, a man brandishing two handguns and an assault rifle showed up for Sabbat weekend activities at the Tree of Life Synagogue, shouting, all Jews must die. He opened fire. By the time he was stopped, 11 people ages between 54 and 97 were killed. And four others, including two police officers, were wounded. It was the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in recent U.S. history, aimed at what many in Squirrel Hill called the heart of this vibrant Jewish oasis. I saw an interview with Rabbi Doris Dayan. She was scheduled to lead morning prayers that morning, but was running two minutes late. And because of her tardiness, her life was, set, was spared, though others were taken. In her prayers afterwards, she said, I'm broken. I can't even pray our prayers. I just have to speak to God honestly from my heart. How much of fear are we willing to tolerate? How much of a fear-laden culture are we willing to be a part of? I heard this week one way to characterize fear, F-E-A-R, is by believing fake evidence as reality. Fear, like mushrooms, grows best in the darkness. So I was honored to be a part of the Lexington community and our service that gathered in remembrance, repentance, and renewal at the Fayette County Administration Building to stand in solidarity with our city's two Jewish houses of worship, Temple Adath Israel and O of A Zion Synagogue. I treasure both rabbis as personal friends. And we have had here on this table, the soiled talith, the Jewish prayer saw that was a part of this service. Now a talith is a prayer covering that is based biblically in Deuteronomy 22.12 and Numbers 15.38 with fringes intertwined with knots called zitzit in recognition of the 613 commandments of the Torah. This talith is worn over the outer garment for morning prayers and during Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement for Worship. In the Reformed tradition, a talith is given to young Hebrew children at their 13th birthday for a bar or bat mitzvah. You know the word bar. Simon bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Bat is daughter. So a bar mitzvah Mitzvah being commandment is a son of the commandments. A bat mitzvah is for a young girl to be a daughter of the commandments. And the fringes on the talith recognize these commands. 
Jewish scholar Amy Jill Levine points out how the Gospels do not shy away from the fact that Jesus also must have worn these fringes. You'll remember these stories of the woman who was healed, as we have said, by touching the hem of his garment. Perhaps the fringes, the zitzit of his talith. Underscored by Mark 6, 56. That says that whenever Jesus went into villages or cities or farms, they laid their sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might even touch the fringe of his cloak and all who touched them were healed. Then in Matthew 23, 5, Jesus criticizes the false religious practitioners who exaggerate their faithfulness by making their phylacteries broad, commandments you wore on the forehead, and their fringes long. Using this modern idiom, Professor Levine says, they wore their religion on their sleeves. And perhaps Jesus cautions all of us to watch very carefully those who like to make a show of their loyalty by falsely par parading around an overblown love for their religious and political symbols. Haven't we seen that? To betray the very values upon which our country has embraced and treasured while saluting the symbols that represent those values. So at our community service, in response to the Tree of Life shooting, we soiled a talith, a prayer shawl. You'll notice we cut off the fringes of the tassels, recognizing that we had cut off God's commandments of life and respect for others and that these principles for care and consideration and respect had been violently violated and then from the Kadush, the cup of blessing the forerunner of our Christian chalice for communion several including myself were asked to come forward and dip our fingers in the wine for me, paralleling the spilt blood of Jesus and continue to deface the purity of the Talith. As we name 10 modern day plagues as perplexing and terrible, plagues like those faced by ancient Israel in enslavement in Egypt. And we called out as we dipped our finger one by one, gun violence, racism, sexism, economic inequality, Domestic abuse, xenophobia, homophobia, addiction, unbridled nationalism, environmental exploitation. That's just 10. <laughs> I mean, we would go back to locusts, wouldn't we? And a river with blood. When our plagues have been multiplied, that these 10 can be added on 20, 30, 50 a whole legion of sins and sufferings they produce. So what must we say? 
Well, just a few things in conclusion. I am a better Christian. I am a better pastor. I am a better human because of my connection with the Jewish community and with their leaders. I know I feel closer to Jesus when I am with them, as close as I would feel to Jesus as if I was with a group of Christians. In fact, depending on what group you talk about, I might feel closer to Jesus with them. Professor Levine, Levine reminds us, Jesus dressed like a Jew, prayed like a Jew, most likely in Aramaic, instructed other Jews how to best live according to the commandments given by Moses. He argued like a Jew with other Jews. He died like thousands of other Jews on a Roman cross. And I agree with her perspective that Jesus has been used as a wedge between Jews and Christians when he is just as appropriately able to bridge the divide between us. That Jesus is my host who welcomes me into the faith of his people, not to criticize them, not to stand over them with judgment, not to suggest that they are wrong, but to appreciate them and to learn from them as I seek to listen and follow him, my Lord. And further, I intend to call out anti-Semitism, both in our tradition, whether that's from Constantine or the church reformer Martin Luther or Christian nationalist, or even within our own sacred scriptures, as well as into the problems of today. Because 2,000 years of history have pointed out the bloodshed, violence, and suffering possible when we do not. My commitment to the teachings of Jesus, parallel to the Jewish reformer and rabbi, the prophet Hillel, teaches us faithfulness and love of God is only validated by love of neighbor and wishing to do no harm that would befall them. We join with the Reformed Jewish community that you cannot profess a faith in God while hating the face of God that is in front of you and your neighbor. That's the truth that lies at the heart of the Torah, and it is at the center of the sacred teachings of our Lord. Forgiveness, true, life-changing, transformational forgiveness and the new life it brings is only possible, just like good therapy, after a direct and even brutal and honest assessment of our current condition. So the gospel says, repent and believe. How can you truly know forgiveness until you deeply recognize and experience your own lostness, your own anxiety, your own blind spots, mistakes, and prejudices? And how can you truly believe until you're willing to let go of false beliefs and broken loyalties that can result in more harm than good? So, in a few moments you will pray. You will be joined with those who gather at 11 who also will pray as we enter into the season of Lent where we will pray to practice the gospel. 
to repent and believe over and over and over again. Begin our response this morning with a call to prayer. We'll read this uh, confession together and uh, invite you to read the bold parts. And then after each time we recite together, forgive us, O God, we'll leave a few moments for silent prayer and reflection. Following our reading, we'll sing together, create in me, you'll find the words to that in your orders of worship. Let's take this time to reflect, to repent, and to receive the grace that God has brought to us. God, we have sinned. We have fallen short of your calling to live in love and community with our sisters, brothers, and siblings. We ask for your forgiveness and grace. We have judged others because of their beliefs, status, or appearance, and have ignored the beloved child of God before us. Forgive us. have been blind to our complicity in systems of greed and oppression. Forgive us. been overwhelmed at the magnitude of injustice before us and have thrown up our hands. Forgive us. We have thought too long and hard about what is right and have not taken action. Forgive us. spoken for people who can teach us and lead us to justice. Forgive us. God, we believe that you have heard us. We trust in the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
who has joined us in humanity and has overcome sin and death. Forgiven and cleansed, help us walk in the way.
And this morning, in place of the candles that we usually have on the tables to either side, you'll find basins of water. And if you'd like, you're welcome to come forward to dip your hands into the water to remember the cleansing and the forgiveness that God has provided for us. Also, you'll find pieces of yarn draped across the top. You're welcome to take one of those as a reminder of the forgiveness and grace that God has provided to us this morning. As we consider where the waters of forgiveness or the cleansing and the refreshment of the Spirit may lead us. So we'll take a few moments. You're free to respond as God would lead you this morning. with us. We are grateful that you call us again and again to the truth of your grace. That you call us beyond our shame and our guilt. And that you give us grace to change. that you would help us to remember the forgiveness that you have given us. And to walk in newness of life that our lives might bring hope and 
peace and justice to the world around us. That we might be able to recognize the spark of the divine in those around us, God. Rejoice in your love that calls us all to beloved community. so glad that you have joined us for worship this morning. You will see, um, I'm going to try to tune and give an announcement here, so we'll see. This is the problem with alternate tuning. Um, we, uh, we have uh, uh, lots of things going on. If you're interested in joining in, joining in uh, a book group, that will begin at the, uh, the end of the month. Um, you can find out more about that. Um, we're kind of open a little bit to finagling times and places um, depending on who signs up. So if you're interested in that, please sign up uh, in the foyer, email me for more information on that. Uh, also, uh, we have, uh, have lots of other things that are happening as well from other groups uh, that you can join in. So you'll find out more about all of those things uh, on the tables uh, out in the foyer as well. So we invite you to join in in on those things. I think we still need some folks to sign up for a uh, habitat uh, build that's coming up that's going to be happening over several weeks as well. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Mark was telling me things and I wasn't picking it up. So. <laughs> so, anyway, we're so glad that you have joined us. We're going to sing one last song together, so I invite you to stand as you're able. And Oh, yes. Okay, sorry. And next week, Kara will be preaching uh, here in early worship, so we invite you to join. Is that what you were saying? Did Rachel give her announcement? No, Rachel didn't give her announcement. That's what Mark was saying. You should say, Rachel has an announcement for you. Rachel has an announcement. Uh, in, in my mind, the best part of a faith-based organization is the ministry to which we are called. But I would posit to you that the second best part of that, uh, those organizations are the people who live out those ministries. We are the hands and feet, the minds and heart of God. And for us as Christians, we are Jesus, present and active in the world. And it's with that sure knowledge that the staff transition committee is looking at the staff part of Central's people doing ministry. Uh, we're not doing that in isolation. We've engaged a consultant, Colleen Elridge. Some of you may know of her work and uh, seen a new book she has out on um, meditation. She's doing private interviews with our staff and our former staff. We'll give a report to our committee from that. We provided surveys and we appreciate the folks who have responded to those. We're providing another opportunity for you to share your thoughts, and there are some prompting kinds of questions, things we're looking at in the blue sheet that's in the bulletin. That's gonna be a luncheon after church on February 24th. Linda Hopgood's gonna lead those conversations for us. Uh, our report to the church is gonna include recommendations on the organizational structure of staff, but also ideas on how our staff can reflect the diversity we preach and things we can do to ensure our work environment is nurturing, encouraging, and challenging. We need your input. 
We hope you'll join us on the 24th and certainly feel free to share your thoughts at any point with members of the committee. So in addition to me, those are Diane Campbell, Matt Gabbard, Linda, Stephanie Moore, Lucy Thomas, and Brad Webb. That is Rachel's announcement. Maybe next time Mark can send me, hold up a large sign that reminds me of, of what to do. That gave me time to finish tuning my guitar so we can be in tune now. So let's stand together as, uh, as we sing uh, number 300, We Are One in the Spirit. And I remembered one other announcement that I need to get next week is a talent show. So if you have any hidden talents or not so hidden talents that you would like to share, please sign up out there. It's going to be great fun. Um, so um, I'm trying to talk Jake into playing a bluegrass version of Sweet Child of Mine with me. We'll see if that happens. So. Spread the news that God is in us. 